Hi, I'm Caitlin Prest, and I am here in your ear to tell you about a very incredible new show called Asking For It. Asking For It is a darkly comedic series that follows a queer femme singer whose history of violence finds her no matter how many times she runs away. It has an original soundtrack, and it'll make you laugh, cry, and feel a little bit less alone. Asking for it. Subscribe now. This is a CBC Podcast. I was in Kmart, and I was in my school uniform, and I was with Mum, and we were, well, I was looking at the Barbie dolls. (laughs) And I remember Mum going, come on, let's go, and... I was like, yeah, 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 I'm coming. And then looked back at the dolls and was, you know, Barbie, Barbie, Barbie. This is Jody Mundy. She was about five when this happened. Picture a freckly kid with curly, dark blonde hair. And then I looked up and mum had gone. So I searched the aisle and then I searched the next aisle and started to panic. So I kind of ran to the front desk and there was a lady and I said, excuse me, I've lost my mum. I've lost my mum. And she picked me up and she sat me up high on the bench. And I remember looking down and seeing my school uniform and my red socks and my new shiny school shoes. She asked me my name and then she leaned into the microphone and she said, Gillian Mundy, your daughter Jodie is lost and she's waiting for you here at the front desk. Jody waited and waited and waited. And then she leaned into the microphone again and she said, Gillian Mundy, your daughter Jody is lost. She's waiting for you here at the front desk. And then I saw mum and I remember vividly all these people around the red light special for the bargains and mum kind of battling her way through and shouting, where have you been? I've been worried about you. And I said, but the lady made an announcement in the microphone. And my mum looked at me and just went, I'm deaf. You know that. I'm AC Rowe. This is The Doc Project. Today's story is part of a trade with the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. It kind of hit me. It was like, oh. I knew that my mum was deaf, but I didn't know what that meant. And I realised my dad was deaf, and my two brothers were deaf too, and that I wasn't. Years later, Jody would find out that kids like her had a name. She's what's known as a coda, a child of deaf adults. Suddenly I realised that there were two camps. (laughs) My family were in one, people who here were in another, and my feet were in both. And I think ever since then I've been trying to bring those two worlds together and kind of find that sense of peace. Today, Jody's life as a coda, a hearing kid in a deaf family. What it's like to grow up being the constant interpreter in a world that wasn't designed with her or her parents in mind. And as the fodder for other people's curiosity, how Jody is trying to take control of her story. Producer Georgia Moody is going to take it from here. 
For as long as she can remember, Jodie has had to answer people's questions about her deaf family. About a year after that day in Kmart, Jodie's grade one teacher videotaped this interview with her. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, we're very lucky this afternoon to have with us Miss Jodie Mundy, who is an expert at sign language. They're sitting in the sun in the school playground. It's 1984. Jodie's teacher, Miss Cohen, is wearing a long floral skirt and triangular earrings. Jodie's in her school uniform again, with knee-high red socks and black Mary Janes. But by now, her two front teeth are missing. Jodie's going to answer a few questions about special things that she might have at her home, and then she's going to very easily show us some of the words you need to know if you are an infant's person and you have deaf parents. The camera work is shaky as it zooms in on Jodie's face. She's wriggling around in her chair. She'd clearly prefer to be sitting in the shade with the rest of her class. Uh, could you tell me, how do you help your mum and dad, for instance, when people come to the door? Instead of knocking, but I have um, um, a light just shows up and then, um, then I can see it. Uh-huh. And what about uh, when the telephone rings, how do your parents know that, the, that there is somebody on the telephone? It's a light. Uh, a light. So... For either for knocking at the door or for telephoning, there's a light that sh- so they have to always keep their eyes open. Ah, I see. Jodie's just six in this video, and already she's fielding the kinds of questions that people will always ask her about her family. They lived in Sydney's western suburbs in a house big enough for all five of them. Jodie's mum, Gillian, her dad, Peter, and her two older brothers, Shane and Gavin. Each night, they ate ice cream as they watched Neighbours. It was just that on their TV screen, there were captions. Do you know how your parents reacted when they found out that you could hear? Yeah, Mum has a story. So she obviously had two boys and uh, who were deaf, and that was all great, but she really, really wanted a little girl, and she really hoped that... This little girl could hear. It was just her thing. She wanted to have the opposite of what she had, which I think is pretty normal for a lot of parents. (laughs) My parents are religious. Um, They're Christian. So I think like they prayed a lot. (laughs) And um, when I was born, Jody actually means, (laughs) I feel so dumb telling you this, but it actually means gift from God, from the name Judith, the Hebrew name. So that is pretty much the status that I got in. So I think my brothers were like, oh, that spoiled sister. She's a girl and she can hear and she's a gift from God, blah, 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 blah. And her brothers found their baby sister annoying for other reasons. When I was born, suddenly they had to be quiet. You know, it was all about, shh, keep it down because your sister's asleep. Whereas before I came along, (laughs) there was none of that. Jodie's first language wasn't English. Her parents didn't speak to her. They signed to her in Auslan, Australian Sign Language. How did you learn to speak? I learned to speak probably from the television um, and storytime tapes. Mum and Dad would play storytime tapes every night. It didn't take long for me to get on track with my English. I was wondering if you might like to run quickly through the alphabet for us with fingerspelling, please. Could you show us an A, B, C? Oh, that's beautiful. Could you turn and face our camera a little more, please, Jodie? D, E, 
Are you F. more comfortable signing or speaking H. English? I know I. that if I haven't signed for at least J. a couple of weeks, K. I start to feel a bit L. agitated. I think I'm more comfortable signing because that's my home language. But I'm pretty good at talking too. (laughs) You can't shut me up. So (laughs) I've got years of catching up on. Excellent. Well, that's rather interesting. Could you tell me whether there's any special equipment in your home that your family needs? Mummy said that we'll be um, getting a typewriter like telephones. What Jodie's talking about here is a TTY, a teletypewriter. Jodie's mum would type out her message and then an operator would make the phone call for her and type back the answer. But it was really slow. So instead, Jodie started making telephone calls for her mum. My brother remembers I started making phone calls at about four years old. Really simple things like making appointments. But then as I got older like seven, eight, nine, pretty much all the family business I was interpreting. I had to make sure I got home from school before business hours, so we had to make all the calls. I'd want to, like, play with friends, but I'd come home. Hello. Going to the bank, going to the doctors, the work calls, the... Oh, it's just a blur. Like, I must have made thousands of calls over that time. Did you understand what you were interpreting? No, not really, no. Especially things like lawyers' appointments and banks, mortgage, and they bought a timeshare. Dad's work, he's a carpenter, so it was all like fix-outs and eaves and I had no idea what they were. Things like tell your father there's no work for two months or, you know, your great auntie's died and seeing Dad deal with that. You know, like bigger things, bigger things that a child tells an adult. Do you think that made you grow up quicker? You know, my family, it was easy, very easy. It was more the reactions of people who hear that were more challenging. You know, the bank teller, the the school teacher, the doctor, the, the guy at the pool chlorine shop, the... The lawyer, the lady at the donut shop, the greengrocer, you know. (laughs) And they've all got their own reactions and prejudices. I had to witness my parents being disempowered, even though they took it in their stride and are exceptionally graceful, elegant people. It was me who would lose it and implode. And remember, it was the 1980s. Services for deaf people were really limited. You could only get an interpreter for a funeral or a wedding. There wasn't any other service, really. But now you can get a free interpreter through the hospital. If you go to university, you can... It's free. My brother, he was the first deaf person, along with his friend David Parker, to get their high school certificate. And my brother's 49 was the first deaf person in New South Wales to get his HSC. So there's a context there. You know, my mum went through labour three times without an interpreter in hospital. You know, like, can you imagine giving birth and not knowing what the doctors are saying? They're pretty incredible people, my parents.
As I became a teenager, I became more angry and, yeah, I didn't want to interpret anymore. I'd had enough. I just wanted to be free. Like, I think most teenagers just want to hang out and listen to music and flirt. I used to fight a lot with mum. I used to scream, I'm not a robot, I'm not your secretary. <laughs> Find someone else to do it, but there wasn't anyone else to do it. When I look back, it was pretty hard and I you know, feel bad for that time, but you know, I think I've forgiven myself for being such a <laughs> terrible daughter. But actually, I was a good kid. I think I just didn't understand the system I didn't understand the macro. I only knew the micro, which was our family, and I just had enough. AC here. Coming up, how technology changes everything. From CBC Podcasts and The Fifth Estate, Brainwashed is a multi-part investigation into the CIA's experiments in mind control. From the Cold War and MKUltra to the so-called War on Terror, we learn about a psychiatrist who used his patients as human guinea pigs and what happens when the military and medicine collide. Listen to Brainwashed on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. to say the day that mum brought home a fax machine was revolutionary because suddenly mum could write on a piece of paper and magically just send it away to the doctors and magically a fax would appear. I remember her showing me, <laughs> me just going, this is amazing, this is amazing. <laughs> and how happy she was, you know, she was independent. As soon as I finished school, I did move out at 18. And I remember telling Dad, I found a place, it's 50 bucks a week in Surrey Hills. It's a share house and I want to move out. And my dad said, who's going to interpret me for my work? And I just, I think I said, like, can't you just be happy for me that I'm moving out? You've got a fax machine. <laughs> and stormed off. But Dad, you know, they helped me move and, yeah, they used their fax machine. They survived before I was born and yeah, I think I just helped make things really easy for a while. Jody went to art school and worked as an Auslan interpreter on the side. Then she lived overseas for eight years, studying theatre in the UK. But wherever she goes, people still ask her questions about her deaf family. You know, I'll just mention it casually and then everyone's like, whoa, 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 what? And I've already moved on. I'm like, yeah, right, my family's deaf, so blah, 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 blah. What? Whoa, whoa, who? And I went, oh, my mum and my dad and my two brothers. And they're like, oh, is it genetic? And I hate that question because it's really private. Or, you know, that must have been hard. Oh, you're so special. It's a language, isn't it? Or what's it like to be deaf? It's like, I don't know. God, go put some bloody earmuffs on and knock yourself out. <laughs> you know, like... It wasn't that I didn't like talking about it. It was more managing people's reactions and questions and just feeling like sometimes it cut to the core of who I was. So for years, it was something that Jodie avoided bringing up. But that changed a few years ago 
Jodie went to an artist's retreat that made her think about her childhood. I just started drawing pictures of memories, just like cartoon comic. And after drawing 200 of them (laughs) over three or four years, I thought, wow, there's some really interesting material here. Do a little bit out of order. (laughs) That's me as a little girl struggling with, I guess, with sound waves. And you can see this is all sketched in like a minute of just a memory. And I wrote like a story, like she had a mum, dad and two brothers who were deaf. They would sign at home and, you know, this very childlike drawings of me and the family. And (laughs) look, it's all falling apart, blue tack and sticky tape. After dinner, sometimes she'd interpret the news for her family. And this, I remember the Berlin Wall coming down and interpreting that for mum and dad. And mum and dad being really excited and me just going, what is all of this? I don't even understand. And you can see me sitting next to the television and my parents watching me, telling them what the newsreader was saying. Um... While it's small, the deaf community is very tight-knit and Jodie's family is involved in a big way. They're what's known as culturally deaf, capital D deaf. So like an Italian is with a capital I, deaf person sees themselves as deaf culture and that's a capital D deaf. A little d implies more of a medical term. So for deaf people who claim capital D, it's about culture. It's not that I'm just a deaf person that's medically deaf. It's I'm deaf. I sign. I'm proud. I roar. I am not ashamed of my language. Did you ever wish you were deaf? I think it wasn't about wishing to be deaf. I think it was more about wishing that I wasn't the odd one out in the family. (laughs) Because, you know... My family are very culturally deaf, so they go to deaf church, they go to the deaf sports, everything's deaf, 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 right? When we get together, they talk about the deaf news or the deaf cat, like, I'm not kidding, like, it's proper culturally deaf. And so sometimes I'm like, oh man, if we had to talk about one more deaf thing, I'm going to die. Sometimes like, oh, are you hearing people? Oh, I need to go and sign. Shut up with all your talking. So there were deaf cats? Yeah, we had two deaf cats. Unfortunately, they both didn't have very long lives. They were both hit by cars pretty quickly, probably because they didn't hear them. Like, that's sort of the gag, is a lot of deaf cats don't have very long lives. And it was a thing. Like, a lot of deaf people get them. It's a thing. (laughs) So it wasn't that the cat turned deaf, it was... Born deaf. We want a deaf cat. Yeah, so white, short-haired cats with blue eyes are usually deaf. Huh? Amazing. <laughs> do you have a cat? I do. Her name's Sahara. She's a tabby cat. She's not deaf. No, she's hearing. <laughs> and then talking about going to deaf church. Every Sunday morning they go to deaf church. After they'd finished signing the hymns, a little girl and her friends who could hear and sign like her would chatter and giggle out loud up the back through the entire service and none of the parents knew. (laughs) We're so naughty, always yelling and screaming and no one had any idea. 
Hearing kids like Jodie were accepted in the deaf community, but they were different. Hearing in sign can mean an oppressor. It can mean people of power. It can mean people who don't understand. So when you're growing up and you see the sign, you're hearing, you're hearing can also mean you're one of them, but we're not one of them. We're not deaf, but we're not that either. Deaf people will meet me and because I sign fluently, a lot of them will think I'm deaf. And then when they find out I'm not, I can see sometimes a little twitch in their eye, like, oh. And then I have to quickly say, my family are all deaf. And then they go, oh, and I'm accepted again. (laughs) Jodie was about 15 when she first heard about the term used to describe kids like her. Coda, child of deaf adults. When I heard of that term, I suddenly had an identity. Like, I wasn't just this kid that was in this deaf family. When I met other kids like me, who also signed and talked, and we knew the nuances of the cultures of both worlds that we live in, I had a home, I had a name. When you sign deaf, you have your index finger and your middle finger, and you put it over your ear and you put it over your mouth, deaf. With coda, there's a sign which is deaf, but you put the deaf finger onto your heart. So when I introduce myself, I say, I'm a coder. I have deaf heart. If you move around a bit, just a little bit, Jodie, in there. Can you sign, do you need me? Yep. But we'll just have to work out where that happens just to make it really little I'm at Arts House in North Melbourne. And right now, Jodie's in rehearsals for her latest work of theatre. The hundreds and hundreds of drawings that Jodie made about her childhood fed into this work which is called Personal. Jodie's here with the rest of the creative team running through a new scene. Okay, so the last part of the Skype scene is um, Gavin saying, well, it made you a better interpreter. And then... Yep. Tell your father... That his auntie passed away two days ago. Your mother needs to take two tablets daily. The green ones? Tell the red ones. I'm sorry. There's just no work for the next month. Dad, there's no work for the next month. It's just Jodie up on stage, but her family's been involved since the very beginning. They also appear in the show, in old family videos, and via video interviews she recorded with her family, who live interstate. That's something that's changed dramatically over Jodie's lifetime. Technology has transformed the way deaf people communicate. The TTY, the relay service, then the fax machine, and then pages, then text messaging, to emails, to video phone, to Skype, to FaceTime, to Skype video relay interpreters. So that's in 40 years. Pretty extraordinary. Like, I remember the first time I FaceTimed mum. That was four years ago. And I wept. I could call her on my own phone, not through a service, not through a pen and paper. It was like my mum and dad in real time on my phone. It's really special. In fact, things have changed so much that when I meet Jodie's nephew, Oscar, who's also a coder, He says one of the only things he does to help his mum is to call and find her phone when she misplaces it. But there's still a long way to go. 
my sister-in-law wants to go do yoga classes. She can't because the yoga school can't afford the interpreter. My niece wanted to do ballet classes and so she ended up getting one-on-one lessons. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. People say it's never enough money, access is expensive, but at what cost? Being a coder has taught me what it is to be from a minority community. Like it's a strange position that I'm in because I'm not deaf, but I witness the daily effects of what that is. And then I have the privilege to tell people about it. I have the privilege to talk to you in the microphone right now. So it's always being very aware of my position and always acknowledging the information I'm giving you comes from deaf people. Generations of people who've been discriminated against, been stigmatized, put down, forgotten. People who are determined to have self-determination to realise their dreams but can only do that with the support of people who hear. It's been an asset for me to have my family as deaf people and with just a regular family doing our thing. We sign at home like people would speak Greek at home or French or Vietnamese and that it's not special if you sign or aren't you clever or it's just that this is part of our Australian landscape. Jody Mundy. Her story was produced by Georgia Moody. It was mixed by Tim Simmons. It came to us as part of a trade with the show Earshot from the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. They aired one of our stories too. It followed Canadian journalist Laura Bain, who, after years of living in and reporting on war zones, moved to Rome, where she was excited to embark on a new, freer life. And of course, just about the moment she arrived, Italy entered their COVID-19 lockdown. To check out that story, scroll back about five episodes in your podcast feed. It's called Lockdown. That's all for us this week. We're a small team. The Doc Project is Allison Cook, senior producer Julia Poggle, and me, AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.